Hey listeners, it's Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. Thank you for listening to another episode of Autographs. This one's really special to me. It is my FlameCon 2018 special. Um, I want to start by thanking Michelle Rose, who's the director of PR for Geeks Out, uh, for her being my point of contact for my press passes. It was a blast to be able to cover the event. She was the nicest human, and all of the staff at FlameCon for Geeks Out were super great and made the experience of covering the event super easy. Um, I want to give a shout out and a thank you to Brian Olson, who's an author of queer, diverse sci-fi and fantasy novels. Um, He's a badass writer and organized a panel called Doctor Who Queered, where myself and Rachel Schulte, who's an actor, teacher, and the artistic director of The Lipstick Project, got to just chat from a fan perspective about Doctor Who and the queerness within it and how it how it does work, how it doesn't, what we'd like to see, what we like that we've already seen. It was a blast. So thank you, Brian, for making that happen. That whole panel is on here for you to hear, as well as three short interviews before the panel. The first one with Omar Harleman, who is a poet and a writer. He is also the co-founder of BlackNerdProblems.com. He is a super smart super funny poet who I met at the poetry reading at FlameCon that a mutual friend of ours was in. And so I had to chat with him a little bit. Uh, It was a blast to get to talk to him. I'm hoping to have him on a full episode in the future. I also, of course, chatted with Fyodor Pavlov, who is someone I've known a long time through the burlesque community, but was super excited to get to see his work and see him on the show floor. He was selling his art and comics that he's worked on. He works mostly in ink and watercolor, and he's been selling on the floor of FlameCon since the start of the convention. So I was super excited to get to chat with him about that and his work. And then finally, I chatted with Rachel Shank and John Henry, who were just attendees at the con and, of course, good friends of mine. And I got their perspective about how this con stacks up versus other cons, you know, from the fan experience. They didn't, they weren't on panels, they weren't doing shows, they were just there to attend the con. And so I got to get their feedback on that. So sit back and relax, enjoy this episode. Apologies again for the long intro, but I'm so excited to share everything I can I was able to bring back from FlameCon 2018. Looking forward to FlameCon 2019. Enjoy the episode. I'm at FlameCon, and I'm here with Omar Holmes, who did uh, the Geek Poetry Reading. Um, Omar, what yeah. brought you to FlameCon this year? Uh, Brennan invited me. I imagine he was putting together the Avengers wheel, and I was like, yes. He landed on me for 200, like Wheel of Fortune style, and I was like, I will surely come here and be a part of this event, because that's awesome. And it's my first time here, and that's I had a lot awesome. of fun. So um, I heard you say on stage that you were coming back to poetry. You were dragged back. Uh, did you stop for a while? Uh, my last, well, there's a whole like National Poetry Slam team and everything like that. My last one was in 2014. Uh, I was with the Urbana team, and we made final stage. And then uh, that was the first time in, I think, 12 years Urbana had been on final stage, which is my goal since 2010. So I was oh, wow. like, 
oh, well, I'm done. <laughs> like, oh, all right, we're gone now. Well, we're good. So, yeah, I've been uh, out of it. I still write a little bit, but more it's like it's more so essays and stuff like that for uh, Black Nerd Problems, the side I run. So I'm getting back into writing poems now. It's talk, talk a little bit about Black Nerd Problems because I'm familiar with it, but tell my listeners a little bit about it. No problem. It was started by me and my co-founder, Will Evans, who's from Ohio. He's also a poet. We met through poetry, and the whole joke was like, hey, what if we – because no one slams forever. No one does, uh, you know, compete and slam forever. So our retirement plan, so to speak, was uh, – Black Nerd Problems and it started as a joke like oh you know it's a Black Nerd Problem when he doesn't know about this or she doesn't know about that and you're dating them and then Will was like hey how about if we actually made this a thing I'm like that's possible and then he's like okay yeah but what if I put the money up and we actually make this a thing and I'm like well we have to assemble people and so we actually assemble people from Twitter, Tumblr um some poets we knew as well and there's still some members it's four years later and there's still some members that i have not met in person yet but i know them through online but working together and stuff so we've been a collective like that he too put out the avengers call and uh, people answered so we we're that's, fortunate that's really great um and so now your your one of your poems that you did which was yes. a, bla- a list of black nerd problems um obviously i'm sure it speaks very much to true experience of things you've seen <laughs> there there is a level of comedy and tragedy in the works that you have recited today um are you a fan of comedy as well are there comedians that have inspired you that drew you to writing poetry in this way yes i grew up on stand-up comedy so um everyone was like comments like oh, richard Pryor and everything like that but i watched bt uh, Comic View and I watched Comedy Central when they'd have their specials. What I watched it so much that I noticed when people from Comedy uh, Central were on Comic View and when people from Comic View were on Comedy Central. And so I like I liked watching that and I just like learned all about like uh, comedy. And uh, I know in poetry their whole like uh, belief is that it has to be like so serious. And the problem is like oh you do a funny poem that was great, but this serious poem about alcoholism is going to trump that because it was funny. It's not always the case. It can be it can still be good. Uh, Peter Ustinov said being funny is just a Comedy is a serious way of being, uh, being funny is just a serious way of being serious. Being funny is just a, he says something about being funny, being serious, damn it. Okay. Uh, so yeah, this is, it's, just, it's another way of being serious. Comedy is another way of being serious. Yes. There we go. You got there. A funny way of being serious. It was close enough. But like, yeah, I, I like to incorporate that into poems and, uh, the best, the best comedians can weave in and out of tragedy. Uh, and, that's, and so I try to do that. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not the best comedian, but I try to do that in the writing. Like, hey, was, we, we can be laughing one minute and then, like, you know, something sad or heavy and then bring it back to something funny. You know, it's, it's a continuous circle where you don't know what you're getting. And that's, as, as a reader you should, or an audience member, I would hope you uh, appreciate that. Because, yeah. like, oh, I don't know where this is going. And it's like, oh, shit. Okay. So, yeah. I just want to leave you with an oh, shit. Like, oh, oh, that's where oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. I do. I do uh, love that in your um, poem that you did re- in regards to the Lord of the Rings and yeah. an Indian woman not being able to be cast because of the color of her skin. Yeah. That you say in the middle of photo that this is not a metaphor for race wise, <laughs> and then you say it's a metaphor for race wise. Like that. That pause and that moment. Like at first, I'm like, oh great, and then I went, oh even better. Like it's just a really great and wonderful moment. Was that that kind of a moment always a part of that poem? Is that the kind oh, yeah. of thing you wanted to do? Yeah, I because I'm like, oh this will be funny because I, yeah. I know like it's always a weird because that's like one of those double-edged swords to read it might go over it might not like you know like someone might get offended oh well, I'm like I'm just it's just I'm just funny way of being serious man um but I that pause was like it's because I know it feels uncomfortable and I'm like all right well no don't worry it's not what you think it is what you think so yeah, it, yeah, so it is that. yeah exactly so it's like commenting kind of like breaking the fourth wall which is like another thing you don't see that often and um the writing approach, but it's, it's a fun thing when it does happen. So I always kept that in there. I wanted to, you know, be inclusive, like the, let you in on the joke, in a, in a sense. So oh, and everyone kind of always breathes a sigh of relief right. right there, and then we go on with the rest. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Oh, we got an episode on stage. Omar, thank you so much for no chatting problem. with me. This has been a pleasure. You and le- um, I would love to do a longer form interview with you if you're a local in New sure. York. I gave you my card. All right, awesome. Thank you. I'm here at FlameCon with Fyodor Pavlov, a artist and creator here at FlameCon. So you have a booth here at FlameCon. Have you been here before? Yeah, uh, I've been doing FlameCon from the beginning. First year, the moment we heard that Geeks Out were going to produce it, I was on board, ready to go. <laughs> and so now, how long have you been uh, drawing and creating for? I mean, I feel like I through the burlesque scene, I've been seeing your work forever. But have you you've been doing this since you were little? Is it something you came to later? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I've been drawing since I was a kid. Um, I do have uh, actually a completely relevant degree in English Lit. <laughs> but because I was interested in stories and illustrating the set stories, that's kind of how that came about. Uh, and for a while I did library work, but throughout all of it I was doing art and illustration and it got to a point where I was taking on so many commissions that I finally just decided to take the leap into full-time freelance and kind of haven't looked back since. That's amazing. And so, like, I, I know that um, you've done a variety of different things. What do you attribute to your style? Because it's sort of like Neil Gaiman-y kind of gothic and then it's got other influences that are closer to, like, modern animation. Do you have any, like, specific in, uh, influence that you point to for your work? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, in high school, I was definitely a goth anime dork. Yeah. That was, <laughs> uh, that was definitely there. Um, but I also love... Uh, like I said, illustration, fairy tale illustration. I grew up with a lot of um, illustrated books uh, that I would just, you know, love to imitate, and sort of my world expanded from that. Um, I love turn of the century illustration, kind of the golden age of like Art Nouveau, uh, Art Deco, uh, Aubrey Beardsley, Alphonse Mucha, like all these artists uh, were a huge influence on my work. Um, and yeah, uh, the modern stuff, the esoteric stuff kind of came in with all of that, I think. Yeah. That's really awesome. And so what's been your experience with FlameCon since you've been doing it for the beginning? Oh, I love it. It's my, it's kind of the only con I do every year for sure. I don't travel a lot for cons because it's complicated and expensive and difficult. Uh, but FlameCon is every year I'm here and I love it. And it's been wonderful to just uh, watch it grow. And it's such a positive community experience. Um, like, I wish we could have it more than once a year. Yeah, no, I, I have a lot of friends who I ran into who are like, oh, can we do this every weekend? Yeah. Like, it would be amazing. <laughs> um, have you gotten out on the floor? Has there been any art that you've seen that you really love that, that has been out on the floor? Oh, yeah, no, I um, I always do my, like, first run before floors, floor opens the first day, and I'm always like, I'm not going to spend any money until I make some money, and that just goes out the window. Um uh, there's a bunch of returning artists who I love. Like, Kate Leth is here. She's great. Um, then there are some folks like um, Emily Lebanco, who is also actually working on Tarot Deck. She's got a bunch of stuff. Um, and then a lot of old friends, too, like Stevie, a lot of folks. Just every aisle's got somebody. Steve Orlando, everybody. There's always someone that I'm like, oh, hey, hi, I'm here to give you all of my money that I just made. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things of being part of an artist community. I feel like, anyway, that there's almost this back of your brain guilt a little bit where you're like, I have to support all my friends. I love them. It's a feedback loop. It's like we're passing around the same 50 bucks. <laughs> right, like, here's my 50 bucks. Enjoy it, and then you can give it back to me later for something exactly. I've done. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you're working on that, like, you're really excited about that's new that um, people may not know about yet? Uh, yeah, so, well, uh, some folks might know I just did a successful Kickstarter for my sketchbook. Uh, I've been really wanting to put together my sketchbooks as, like, a print book for folks to be able to see because I think it's a really fun, intimate experience to, like, look at an artist's unfinished work or their, like, ideas before they come to fruition in some way. So uh, the sketchbook has a lot of, like... Uh, 
uh, sketches that I did for comics that later appeared in anthologies, but you get to see sort of the beginning works of that. So I put together that, and I'm actually bringing it to FlameCon this year for the first time um, outside of Kickstarter. Uh, and then I'm currently working on a tarot deck um, on a full 78 cards uh, images. It's been taking a while, but it's been a total labor, labor of love for me. And I'm hoping to have it done by next year for FlameCon. Uh, so far, I have the Major Arcana, the Cup Suit, and the Wands are all done. So I have two more to go, and then I'm ready. That's really awesome. Um, are there any sketches in this, like when you go through your sketch book, where you lo- go, uh, I guess I'm putting this out with the whole thing, but like, I imagine there are some things that either aren't finished the way you want or stuff that you're not really happy with, but, you know, perfection is the enemy of done. Like, is there anything in there that you're like, oh, I guess I'll release it? Um, kind of. I mean, so I went through sort of an editing process, and I definitely picked my favorites. Right. Um, but there was stuff that, like, um, this is the year that I did Inktober kind of for the first time in a sort of consistent way. I still didn't do the full month, but I did half, which I think is a great achievement. Um, So I wanted to just release all of those because I think uh, that's such a fun exercise and it's like you just get a drawing out, doesn't matter how good it is. And so because I was going to put some out that I really, really like, I decided to just do all of them because I was like, well, they go together they're part of this project. So I just, yes. So all of those are in there. Some I love better than others, but yeah. And then my follow-up would be, like, has there ever been a sketch or a piece of art you've been working on that you were like, like, you just can't get to the way you want it and, like, sits on a shelf or sits in an idea book? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, there, yeah, in my sketchbook, there's some, there's a drawing that I literally just did that I kind of was okay with the pencil sketch, and I started inking it, and I just, like, ha- it was, I was enjoying it, but I, then I had a better idea, and I just dropped it halfway through inking <laughs> and went to do something else. <laughs> Um, do you find that sometimes you get distracted with new ideas from old ideas? Um, yes and no. I like I, I'm a completionist by nature, uh, so I try to sort of stick with the thing. But I mean, best intentions never work out. So sometimes I do. Um, but yeah. And if there's one thing that you haven't done that you really want to explore, or maybe a type of art style or story, is there something that you're looking to re- really do that you haven't tried yet? Um, yeah, well, so I usually work with uh, pen and ink and watercolor, uh, and I've been really getting into metallics, uh, metallic inks, which is, it's a, it's a disappointing thing because they always look so good in person, but you can never recreate them online or as a print. So that's like one of those, in our digital age, it's one of those things that you just, there's like, you, I have to hand somebody a drawing and say, look at this, it's so cool. <laughs> You'll never see it like this again. Uh, so that that's a thing. Uh, and I've been just trying to branch out more into different mediums like uh, pencils and stuff. And, of course, I'm also apprenticing as a tattoo artist, and that's a whole different ballpark. That's awesome. Yeah, I, some, some performers have gotten your work as tattoos. Is that correct? Yes, and um, I actually had a few people stop by uh, my table, just friends who have gotten tattooed by me, showing off their healed stuff. So that was cool. <laughs> that's really awesome. Well, Fyodor, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's always a pleasure to see you and I love your work. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Oh, thanks so much for coming by. Yeah, I love awesome. it. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm back at FlameCon 2018. I'm chatting with my very good friend Rachel Shank and her partner John. Um, you guys are just here as con goers, right? Absolutely. Just hanging out. Yep, just attending. I didn't even, we planned this pretty last minute, so yeah. we just like over the last day threw together what we were doing for our costumes, so... And uh, what do you think about FlameCon so far? Is this your first year? 
Yes, my first year. My first year as well. Mm, and it's amazing. Uh, we're currently dressed as uh, cosplayers from the Adventure Zone, and we've gotten so much love because of that fandom. Some woman, uh, her name's Jamie Kay, uh, gave us a print of a moment from Taz, and I cried when she handed it yeah. to me. Well, so that's the kind of fan that I am. I'll she- cry if you give me things. She called us over and she was like, oh, I have something for Adventure Zone fans. And we expected, like, a button. Yeah. And then, like, just being handed these gorgeous prints where it's just... Yeah, just... More love than we were expecting in the moment. This is what I want all cons to be like forever. Like, now that I'm here, I'm spoiled on the amount of love and creativity and... And, and kindness and care everyone's showing each other. And no one harassing each other, at least as far as I've seen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, this is what I remember the original NYCC being before it got blown out of proportion. And also I have to say, like, I've seen so many tacos and not one of them has been the same. They have yeah. all been so different. Yeah. And I love yeah. that about how that fandom has embraced those characters and that there's no right or wrong. You just dress as those characters the way you want. And I think that's a bonus from a fandom growing out of a non-visual media. Yeah. You know, everything is auditory, so everyone is, like, made up in your own mind of, like, well, I think Taco looks like something out of Hot Topic. Well, I think Taco looks like they are, uh, like, a beach person, yeah. you know? It's just, like, everything... There's no wrong choices with the Taz fandom. There's someone over there who has, like, who's doing a taco who has all of his skin painted blue and has like a lawn gnome style just pointy hat and that taco is perfect yeah um has there been any ex- is exhibitors or panels that you've gone to that you really dug that you haven't seen anywhere else we only went to yours oh all right <laughs> yeah i did a doctor who panel which you'll hear at some point that's not this recording but uh um but did you see any exhibitors or um you know sellers that really stuck out to you uh, yeah, there was a, uh, I was unfortunately able to make it to the panel, um, a panel all about the Sailor Scouts and Sailor Moon, and, like, I had it circled in my agenda to go to, but I slept in like a jerk, uh, but just the, that, that whole celebration of, like, anime at, as part of queer culture is just, like, it's been delightful, um, it's been so good, yeah. I'm pulling up the name so I have it now, I hired an artist named Kaylee Rowena to draw my D&D character. Oh, very cool. And they did just such a very nice job with it. Oh, and so did they, you hire them and then you picked it up here? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Within about like an hour turnaround, they made this beautiful. I am looking at the photo and it is amazing. I will take a picture of it. After the interview is over, I, yeah. I did the same. I also commissioned uh, a D and, my D and D character from another artist, uh, but I'm waiting for for mine. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a bit of a complicated bard. Mm-hmm. I mean, you yeah. that's just your mo in life. I yeah. feel like I, I like that. I'm like my D and D character is me. I guess. Sure. Yeah. You know why not? Um, is there anything that you haven't seen that maybe you wish you did see or something that, like, an experience that you wish there was more of? Well, obviously, you know what my answer is going to be. A burlesque show? Yeah. yeah. I've already spoken to the PR reps about, you know, interests because I have connections. Yeah, and so, yeah. yeah definitely, but, that would definitely yeah. be a Saturday event. Yeah. Obviously. I mean, on the same topic, as far as things to see more of, there is a very hunky Red Ranger that everyone... Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, who doesn't love a hunky Red Ranger? Yeah. 
A lot of rhinestones. Fascists wouldn't love a hunky red ranger. Um, thank you for taking the time to chat with me, folks. Uh, I, I just I'm overwhelmed by how much there is here. It's yeah. just unbelievable to me that I didn't think that this was possible, and it's more beautiful than I could have imagined. Oh yeah, just the it took us an hour and a half just to casually walk the 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 show floor, the main floor, and that's so incredible to me that there yeah. are just so many like creatives that can all come together for a weekend and just hang out in the Sheridan in New York. Well, thank you for chatting with me, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Welcome, everybody. Hello. So, uh, welcome to Doctor Who Queered. This is a fan discussion about queer themes and characters in Doctor Who. Uh, I'm going to start off just by introducing our panelists today. Uh, we've got Rachel Schult. Am I pronouncing that right? Schulte. Schulte thank yeah. you. Sorry. Uh, is both a super nerd and super gay. She currently lives in Connecticut, where she is a middle school drama teacher, actor, and the artistic director of The Lipstick Project, an all-women-plus theater troupe, which she founded back in 2014. The group strives to create and promote artistic opportunities for the women-plus community, as well as to raise awareness and money for nonprofit organizations, such as the True Colors Fund, To Write Love on Her Arms, and the ACLU, to name a few. This past spring, the Lipstick Project co-produced the first-ever licensed all-female production of Candor and Ebb's classic musical Cabaret. You can find out more about the group by following them on Facebook. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Uh, and then we have Matt Storm, a.k.a. Stormageddon. Stormageddon is no baby. He is a DJ, podcaster, and burlesque producer MC living in Brooklyn, New York. He is nerdy about a great many things, from sci-fi to music to video games and more. He has two podcasts currently running. One is bi-weekly interview series called Crash Chords Autographs and Crash Chords Autographs, sorry. And the other is a bi-weekly video game discussion series called Fun and Games, which he hosts with his co-producer Jeff Moonen. He also has two brand new podcasts launching this September. They are all available on all podcasting platforms. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. And uh, me, I am Brian Olson. I'm your moderator today. I'm an author of science fiction and fantasy novels with diverse characters and a sense of humor. I've got eight books out, including Young Adult Fantasy, The Sudden World, and contemporary sci-fi adventure Alan Lennox and the Temp Job of Doom. <laughs> I'm also an actor and director, and I perform improv around the city with my team, Fancy Cop. So thank you all for coming here today. <laughs> Uh, just to get us started, before we get into the specific topics, um, how did each of you get into Doctor Who in the first place? Well, I, my roommate in college, my senior year of college, was really into it, and she had it playing one day when I came home, and I was like, oh, sit and watch this with you, and it was Let's Kill Hitler, which is <laughs> probably the most confusing episode I could have started with. I just, I was like, what do you mean that's their daughter? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, okay, well, now we have to go back. I have to understand what happened. Um, so she took me back to the beginning, and I was completely obsessed from there. Excellent. <laughs> Matt, how about you? So um, my now ex, but one of my best friends, uh, Mary, introduced me to it. We were hanging out at her place, and this episode comes on where a shaven head male lead is being chased by mannequins. And I was very confused. <laughs> but I was also very interested. Um, and so from there, we binged the whole Eccleston season and waited patiently for Tenet, and I've been a fan since. And I've also since gone back and watched a lot of the classic stuff, but I am deeper with the newer stuff. Um, also, for cred reasons, I should mention I did get engaged in a Doctor Who bar called The Way Station in Brooklyn. <laughs> which is also where I met my wife, um, who uh, is in a band, is an actress, and is way more talented than me. So, there. Uh, as for <laughs> it's support, not sucking up. <laughs> 
Uh, as for me, I have been a fan since I was about seven years old. My dad got me into it. Um, I used to watch it on the PBS station in Boston. The first episode I remember watching was The Hand of Fear Part 3, which was with uh, Tom Baker and uh, Sarah Jane Smith was his companion. Uh, I, had, I was very confused, and then it led into The Deadly Assassin, which if you're a classic Who fan is a very confusing serial to start with. Uh, and then I was hooked from there. I'm a huge fan of the classic show, the new show, all the spinoffs, I read the comics, the books, the audios, I am into all of it. I am completely obsessed. Uh, so how this is going to work today, this is a fan discussion. Um, so with each topic, we're going to get the ball rolling, but we want to hear from you. Uh, so Mike, the friendly Mike man, uh, is in the front with his microphone. Was that a coincidence that his name is Mike and he's the Mike man? It is not. Oh, excellent. <laughs> no, this is all carefully planned. I the believe The tiniest it. detail. Uh, so he's going to be coming around. Uh, if you have something to say about the topic that we're talking about, and I hope you will, uh, just raise your hand and keep it up, and I'll try to get to as many people as we can. Mike will bring the microphone to you. Um, in the interest of time, uh, please don't be too offended if I, I may have to cut somebody off so that we can keep things moving, because we only have 45 minutes and over 50 years of television to talk about. <laughs> uh, so let's jump right in with the first topic, um, inspired certainly by uh, Jodie Whittaker taking over the role. Yes. So I want to talk about uh, pronouns, right? So what uh, pronouns uh, do we use when referring to the doctor uh, in the present, like referring specifically to Jodie Whittaker's incarnation, but also what do we use when we're talking about, say, the doctor in a general sense? You know, the doctor, time lord from galaxy, from uh, Gallifrey, traveling time and space. But also then, what do we do when we're talking specifically about a past incarnation? When we're talking about Christopher Eccleston's incarnation now, what pronouns do we use? Um, what do we want to use? What do we think the BBC and Chris Shibnall will do when the show comes back? Um, let's start with Rachel. What do you think? Well, I, I would love, I mean, I think it would be super appropriate if they started on the show using they, their pronouns for the doctor because there's it's complete gender fluidity with that character, which is now official. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because I was rewatching an episode the other day, one of Bill's last episodes, where they're talking about Missy and the master. And he refers to Missy as he and she multiple times in the same dialogue. And I was obsessed with that scene. Um, because I think it's just kind of a, you automatically, or I, I automatically will refer to the doctor as he before Jodie Whittaker became the doctor because that's what, you have all of these doctors of 12 doctors um, and, you know, 50 years of the doctor being uh, male and referred to on the show as male. So I think this would be a really, it seems like they're trying to take, like with that last season, a lot of steps in a very progressive direction. Mm -hmm. And they dealt with a lot of issues that were very serious, like the gender stuff, like they dealt with some racism and, um, you know, classism and fascism a lot in the last season and I think to to use some uh, more neutral pronouns for the doctor would be a really awesome step for the show yes I agree Matt what do you think I mean I agree a hundred percent like I can just tag on to that I can also say like so you heard earlier that I have a gaming podcast and I one of the new ones I'm doing I promise this is related um, is uh, a Mass Effect podcast for those who are familiar with the game Mass Effect um, your lead character can be male or female. There's no non-binary yet, but I keep my fingers crossed in the future we'll have. But you can play, the character is pretty much played the same by both the male and female voice actors. But what I've learned is whatever Shepard, the character's name is Shepard, that you play or create is the pronoun you use when talking about it. Like, I prefer Femme Shep. That's always who I play as. I love the voice actress who plays her. And so whenever I talk to my friends about it, I always say, uh, she did this and her, because that's, that's who it is. 
Um, and when I first played that game, it was before I was aware of they, them, which I may be more inclined to use now. And I feel like with Doctor Who, it's the same, going to be the same way going forward, I hope. Like, you'll use the pronoun of your favorite doctor, but you may all con also consider they, them, because you don't want to restrict yourself to one gender. Because it could be, we know now it's canon, like we said, the doctor can be any gender. So I think that for me personally, I would also love if the BBC embraces the they, them, and maybe uses it a bunch this season. Also the fact that it's an ensemble cast and that there's an older man, a younger man, a woman, like that it's a group that maybe pronoun stuff can come up even in the story. Because it would make sense because we're dealing with different genders. I'm hoping, again, different sexualities as well. I think that would be really interesting. I say I, I agree with everything you both said. I'm, I'm skeptical. I, I'm, I try to be optimistic. Yeah. I don't think... I don't think BBC is going to use they. I think it's going to be she. Um, which not to say that's not appropriate. Um, but I just, I don't know, maybe it's me being overly pessimistic. Um, <laughs> but I don't think they're going to, uh, I don't know, I don't see them necessarily getting too deep into like genderqueer on Doctor Who. I don't think they'll uh, openly acknowledge it. I wish, I wish they would. Um, but I don't know if they would. I think it's going to be, my, my prediction I think is that it's going to be she. And when the show talks about a past incarnation, I think they're going to do the same thing like you were talking about what they do with Missy, where they're going to sort of um, go back and forth between she and he, and uh, hopefully not for, I hope not for laughs. I think yeah. the show is better than that. And I hope Chris Shibnall, from what I've seen on Broadchurch, is better than that. Um, I'm optimistic they'll handle it well. I think they're not going to take that one last step to really explore the idea of genderqueer within the Time Lord. What do you guys think? Does anyone have anything on this? So hey, many hands. The yes, right there. hands. Um, hi, my pronouns are they, them, theirs. Um, I, funny enough, uh, sh very shortly after watching, I haven't actually finished Capaldi's last season yet, but we did watch live. We did watch when it actually aired. Um, not live. We watched when it actually aired uh, Jody's first appearance because um, we were like, we're not missing this. We're watching it. Um, and... Uh, then an interview with Stephen Moffat very shortly after in which he actually did start trying to talk about the doctor in a general sense and just started using they them pronouns which I was very surprised by um <laughs> uh that he just like was in this interview and he was like well the doctor he the they and just started doing that in the interview um interestingly enough my big concern is actually less with like what pronouns are they going to use to talk about the doctor in a general sense I'm more I am more suspicious that we're going to see a lot of gender essentialism come into play because even when even like in a throw there's like a throwaway moment in Capaldi's first season where there there's a time lord who regenerates from a man into a woman quote-unquote and is like oh I hated being a man that ego and it's just like but why would why would why why would an alien race have that essentialism why um so that's what I'm, so I'm suspicious that what we're going to see is a lot of like, well, when I was a man and now that I'm a woman and that's what I think is going to happen. That's also very pessimistic, but that's what I suspect is going, yeah, we're going to I'm see based on yeah, past yeah. experiences. Like. I'm hoping a lot of that came, I love Stephen Moffat, but right, he's, he's done some great gender things. He's done some terrible gender yeah. things. <laughs> um, that gender essentialism is so, such a problem with him. I'm yeah. hoping, mm -hmm. I don't know too much about Chris Shivnell beyond Broadchurch. Um, I'm hoping he can move away from that. <laughs> uh, uh, who else? Uh, right there in the middle. I will say uh, really quick that I, 
I, one of the only joke I was a Matt Smith fan when a lot of people weren't. The only joke I hated when he regenerated is when he went, "Oh God, am I a girl?" Touching his long hair and then touched down. I'm Adam's apple and went, "Oh no, I'm not." Like I get it was played for laughs, but and because he looks so young and twee, but I just I thought it was a poor choice of a joke, or it could have been done in a better way. Like he could have been like, "Oh, whew. like like could have done it in a way where it sounds like he was relieved that he wasn't a woman, but it wasn't a bad thing that he wasn't a woman, you know, or a good thing or whatever." Hi, this isn't anything official regarding pronouns, uh, but we use she, her for Jody, uh, and then we use he, him for past doctors, and then overall we use they, them. Awesome, right. very cool. Great. Thank you for sharing. Uh, anyone else have anything on this particular topic? Oh, there's someone way in the back there. <laughs> run, 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 hurry. Um, he, him, his. Theoretically, I really like the idea of singular they, th them. Um, I'm just a little concerned about the looks of, okay, he's been a man for all this time and he was fine. Now it's a woman, so we're going to go to something nonspecific. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Right? Okay. It's, it's just a little uncomfortable for me that, okay, now this woman, we have to de-emphasize the gender. It's a very that's good point. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. I think, and it took so long for them to bring a woman in that I feel like they might want to might want to use she, and her because it's taken so long to get a woman. And like, I yeah, I I, I kind of agree that that might be what what the case is. Well, you can certainly um, uh, no. I'm going to shut up. Sorry, we've more <laughs> people out there. Uh, go ahead. Hi. I use they, them pronouns, but there are a lot of gender fluid people who use both mm -hmm. he and she and they. Uh, I suppose that's more than both, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they alternate sort of based on how they feel at that time and how they're presenting. And I feel like that's a good model for the doctor mm. that, yeah. you know, we can talk about all of the doctors as they, but, you know, Jody can be she and, you know, Capaldi can be he and, you know. And I think that you know they, we can view it that way without like ignoring the gender fluidity and queerness of uh, the doctor. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. That's really cool. And I think that's how I I, I feel like that's sort of how the show has been modeling so far with yeah. Missy or when yeah. they've talked about the Corsair or the general in that episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, anybody else on this? Right there. Hi, my name's Denise. Matt Smith was my doctor. Um, Yay. <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> I, my general guess on this is that, like, there'll be bumps and bruises in the earlier episodes, but, like, just thinking about the prior seasons, that how often did they talk about each other? You know, like, Tennant really didn't talk about Eccleston, and then Smith didn't really talk about Tennant. Obviously, it was a huge thing in the 50th, because 50th. But, um, <laughs> you know, I feel like it'll kind of be, like, when Capaldi first came in, or when any of them did the regeneration. Those first, like, two, three episodes, maybe there'll be a little bit of, like, shift back and forth. Um, but that's just based on prior, you know, having a whole new showrunner and a whole new, like, writer's room and everything. It, it's sort of a, like, close your eyes, throw a dart, and maybe you'll hit two out of seven of the answers. That's true. It might be a while before we get any kind of, even the tiniest little bit of indication of how the doctor thinks about herself in the past. Mm -hmm. um, I think we had, let's do one more. There, I thought I saw somebody, uh, uh, let's go right up front here then. Hi, thank you. Uh, my pronouns are uh, she, her. 
I think that when it comes to the gender and the doctor, um, it is it is up to us, uh, the fans, because this property is for us. And if we if we take the lens of our fandom to our our gender identity, I think it's important that we honor each other's choices in what the doctor is to each other. Um, if the BBC decides not to honor the gender fluidity of the doctor, we can still mm -hmm. refer to the doctor as they them, she her. Uh, whatever, whatever we want, and I think it's just important that we like respect and honor each other in our choices. With that, that's all. Great, thank, thank you. you. Um, I'm going to move on to another topic since we started talking a little bit about um, Moffat and his gender issues. Um, uh, under that, so uh, we've had Russell T. Davies, we've had Stephen Moffat, uh, and I'm curious. Um, uh, talk about. What is your favorite maybe queer moment or character or situation under either's tenure? And overall, who do you think did better in mm. handling queer topics generally during their run of the show? It's <laughs> a good one. Uh, uh, who wants to go first? I guess I'll go first. Um, oy, um, so it's funny, like, with my experience with Doctor Who, I, I got in during the Russell T. Davey years, obviously, because uh, Eccleston is my favorite. Um, and I, I never feel like, thank you for the handful who agree with me, that a dramatic doctor <laughs> is the best doctor. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, I, like some of the sexuality I thought was handled really well in that first renewal season where like everything with Captain Jack and that Christopher Eccleston kind of just felt like, okay, whatever. Like he, he kind of went along with it. But then there are moments with Rose where they treat her like, because she's very comfortable with her sexuality and loves to just kind of be free with who she dates and where she goes and what she does, they kind of have this whore complex, at least that's how I read it. Like, there was some semblance of shame that she was interested in in, in Captain Jack, and again, that could be just because the doctor was jealous, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's lazy writing. I think that I worry that with the newest season that it won't be handled as delicately, like, if I swear to Christ, if uh, Jodie Whittaker falls in love with the first guy she meets, I'm gonna throw something at the TV. Like, I can't. It's why I like, but also to the same effect, Moffat did some good stuff, like with the last season with um, Capaldi, Bill's sexuality was never a big deal. She was treated as a straight character is normally treated in a show, and the fact that she likes girls, she had an awkward encounter with one. She fell in love with a weird water ghost. And like, you know, that was okay. But like the doctor, I mean, in the moment when it comes up is just like, okay, who cares? This isn't about you. Like, as in a way that it was kind of like, it's okay, you're a person, do what people do. Like, and I like that. And it was amazing that Moffat curated that moment, even though the season finale was still about her f meeting her true love, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, and so I, I, I kind of can't choose which one I like better because I think neither of them are perfect. I know that's kind of a cop-out, but I feel like both of them made certain right choices, and I'm hoping, it, hoping that the new showrunner will learn from those experiences and continue to build and why I'm so happy that there's an ensemble, because there's less likely going to be like a romantic interest among the companions. I'm hoping that they're just all gonna go have fun in a Donna Noble kind of way, and that maybe Jody meets another lady, Time Lord, or you know they bring Missy back again because Missy will never die. Um, but so that's kind of where I sit with this. Like I'm hopeful for the future, but the past had ups and downs. Hey, Rachel. Um, I agree that uh, for Davies, uh, Captain Jack was 
I think really important because I think yeah. not only is bi visibility really important, obviously, and visibility in general, but bi visibility is I think in in men especially very underrepresented um, on TV. It's very rare, I think, that you see an openly comfortable bisexual male character on mm -hmm. television. So I thought that was really cool. And uh, one of the great things about the doctor is that the way he perceives everyone is as equal. And so you are sh seeing, uh, you see that through his eyes. And I think that's important, especially for like kids who watch the show to see that he is accepting of, or she or whoever is accepting of everyone. Um, as a lesbian, Bill was a really huge deal to me. <laughs> um, I was really excited that they had, uh, that Moffat had her character. Of all time, my favorite queer character is River Song. Um, nice. And I swear if they don't bring her on with Jodie Whittaker, I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> uh -oh. She can say goodbye every episode. I don't care. She can still come back. <laughs> um but yeah, I think I, you know, one of the important things about River Song besides that, um, you know, when they started really dealing with her and mentioning that she was bisexual within the plot lines within the show is that before then, like you were saying that there was kind of this weird complex with Rose, the doctor was presented as male and he was always the smartest one in the room and he was teaching the female everything. Yep. And then River Song came on, and she knew more than the doctor yes. did. Um, and she was presented as an equal. And it's the same when they started having more than just a female companion. Um, you know, to have, okay, so it's not just because she's a girl and you're the man with the TARDIS and you get to tell her everything and how everything is. Um, so I think she was really important because she was kind of one of, there have been others, but one of the first characters who consistently came in and was like, I'm not intimidated by you, I'm as smart as you, and I can teach you just as much as you can teach me. Um, and so I think it's another reason that, you know, Jodie Whittaker is such a big deal because now you're going to have someone who's a woman being the smartest one in the room. And I think that's, after all these years with this show, that's really important. I agree. Um, for me, uh, Captain Jack was everything to me when the show came back because I had been a fan, right, all through my childhood of this classic show that never really had, the classic show never had any overtly queer content, although it was there if you, if you knew where to look for it. <laughs> um, so when I heard it was coming back and that Russell T. Davies, who had done Queer as Folk, was the showrunner behind it, I was so hopeful. Um, and so I knew nothing going into it. You know, I was watching it as it aired the first time. And that first scene with Captain Jack when he tells Algie that he's got a nice bum too, I like threw my fist into the air. <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, yes, he's going to be the queer, uh, queer companion. Um, in terms of Davies versus Moffat, um, I get so torn back and forth because uh, I think... Davis did such great things, and just carrying uh, Jack into Torchwood, where he got so much more developed in his relationship with Yanto, and Yanto's coming coming out scene, basically, to his sister in Children of Earth, if you've seen that, I think is so amazing, where he's basically saying, I am I am a straight man, who, but I'd love this man. Um, it's so well done, because it, it was such a complex take on someone's sexuality. Um, and then you've got Moffat, who has done probably more queer content than Davies did, actually, within the show. Um, but I feel like he kept undercutting it every time. You know, Jenny and Vastra are such great characters. Yes. Uh, I love their relationship. But then you've got, you know, and then that scene with Jenny's in the cat suit and the doctor's drooling over her. And I just feel like he's like, set it up and then undercut it until Bill. Because um, I thought Bill was done so great mm -hmm. from start to finish. I loved everything about her. Um, so for me, that, that started to sort of maybe tip the scales a little bit in Moffat's favor. Um, but what do you guys think? Oh, I got a lot of hands up. Yay, more hands. Uh, let's go right here. 
<coughs> Hi. So, um, if we're going to talk about Moffat, can we talk about Clara? Because oh, mm. that, to me, is the nice. real low point <laughs> of, of, of Moffat's queer representation. Because he kind of just puts it out there and kind of bats it a bit. And it never goes anywhere. It never gets a payoff. It's, it, you know, she, she basically presents as a straight girl all the way through. But Moffat can't quite stop teasing us with the idea that she might be bisexual. And it really grates. And rewatching some of those episodes, it's just like, can we just do something with this or not? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, a problem. yeah, I go back and forth on that because it's it, it, it does feel a bit like he's just using it to tease, um, but at the same time, it still becomes something that fans can take. Instead of talking about what you were talking about, how the fans can take things and and we can we can interpret this and we can use them how we want. He still introduced the idea of Clara being bisexual that we can then explore. Um, so it's sort of I don't know for me that's that sort of thing is double edged. Um, I think you had something. Hi, um, I also agree with kind of like the scales. Um, Moffat always has been difficult, and um, but with Bill a as a lesbian, um, I started watching it when I was in grad school um, with Eccleston, and that show kind of got me through some rough stuff. And having the Doctor as like a character who I admire so much be like, yeah, you kiss girls. That's cool. Like I, after that episode, I cried. I was just like weeping, just from like the affirmation of this fictional character, accepting, knowing that that, that character would accept me, but having that verbal confirmation of it. So for me, it's always going to be Moffat, despite all of the other mess, just for that moment. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you yeah. for that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, let's go right there. Yeah. Just. <coughs> I just also want to comment on the fact of Moffat kind of undercutting things. And like we were talking about earlier with um, Time Lords being like gender fluid. I think that's super interesting. But then when we go back to Gallifrey, he definitely writes it as like a society that's like very much a patriarchy, which mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense given what else he's told us about Time Lords. So it kind of seems like he wants to have his cake and eat it too in that way with the Time Lords, um, which is something I've always kind of had an issue with. And then... The other thing is I think similar sort of to what you were saying about Clara is they have a lot of like very throwaway lines about the doctor like oh like that guy was interested in me or like oh I danced with this man once but it's like never anything so concrete as to actually count as any sort of representation if you mm -hmm. know what I mean like but yeah. they always put those lines in without any actual sort of like real real confirmation yeah so yeah that's something i've always noticed i mean but i don't think that's exclusive to moffat i think that's like always been a thing or in the new series and yeah so i think those are the two points that i think he really undercuts himself a lot yeah uh who else uh, okay right there yep hi um when you were talking about um moments when it was like when you we were talking about specifically if the doctor is queer um i will always remember and i'm a chris reckleston stan so like that's just me and that's what i will always forever will be me and i will always remember when he like he kissed jack and to me that was like that like i was being introduced to doctor Who. all my friends already knew about it whatever i think in high school and i remember like the whole season he's focused on the fact that like he's attracted to Rose and that's like a big thing and then he just whips around and kisses Jack and I like it floored me like I remember it to this day and I think I am not a fan of Stephen Moffat I know that's a hot take 
Um, <laughs> what? But um, <laughs> but I, I will. I think a lot of it stemmed from when I, when I saw him like kiss a man, and then I thought about like time lords and queerness and all that kind of stuff, and then I started to think about like what are those implications on. The, the race of Time Lords and the Doctor as a person and whatever, whatever. And I had all these thoughts. And then when it went into Moffat and it, it went into like that undercutting, and it that was a part of the disappointment for me. That mm-hmm. that, and it wasn't just about queerness; it was about how he treats female characters and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But a part that was a lot of the part of the disappointment for me was, oh wow, you you or Davies opened this this world of possibilities here. And it's just continuously, oh, he's attracted to this girl that he picked up. Or, you know, oh, another girl that he picked up, and it's the girl in the fireplace the third time, or whatever. <laughs> like, I, And to me, that was the biggest disappointment, was like, I was given that taste with Christopher Eggleston of like, oh, he could be attracted to a man, or whatever. Um, and how it like, wasn't a big deal, and like, that kept... I think that whole... Thing of queerness kept uh, bothering me, and I think that's why that like a lot of the stuff with Moffat gave uh, a bad taste in my mouth. I guess would be the word. That is definitely that fair, sense. and I know you're not, <laughs> you're far from alone in that opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Uh, yeah, and I think that's why every time there's a possibility of a male companion, I'm always like, come on, <laughs> <laughs> like the you know that Ariana Grande gif of like it's equality like that. Like I'm like I'm like okay, like I'm like can it be like can it be like you know, if he's going to be attracted to every woman he picks up, like, please just let him be attracted to, like, the random dude he picks up, too. Like, Rory is so cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rory. Danny deserved better. Uh, all right. Anyone else on this particular topic? Uh, great. Uh, let's go right there. Uh, right. You had your in the... Yes. I'm about to make myself sound super old here, but... Um, when you talk about queerness in the Doctor, the first thing that I remember is how angry I got at Russell T. Davies for making him not ace anymore. Hmm. And I just, yeah, I mean, like, it's awesome. I'm here for it. Bill, make out's awesome. Just, you know, making out with Jack, not Bill. Don't do that. That's weird. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just, it's a thing to remember that happened. Were you a fan of the classic show? Like, were you taking... Yes, I mean, he had always been framed to me, and I know that, you know, it was never explicit, obviously, but he had always been framed to me as Sherlock Holmes and, and Doctor Who are the two ace characters out there, you know. There's that line, do you remember the, the, the City of Death? Um, Tom Baker has this great line. He's talking to sort of the, the, the villainous in the piece, and he says something like, you're a beautiful woman, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's stuff like that that was just, you know, beautiful. I liked, mm-hmm. but meh. Uh, way back in the back corner there. Hi, hello from the back corner. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to hear your thoughts about Ianto Jones dying in Torch of Earth because, <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, Queer characters dying, so what? I yeah, have thoughts. So, <laughs> So I, I I wasn't watching Torchwood like <laughs> live with everyone else. I wasn't able to like gauge the reaction in real mm-hmm. time back then. Um, but I'm I'm kind of like and it's not it's not a fair comparison because I'm thinking about um, and I'm oversimplifying Bill's arc. But yeah. it it ended with um, two cosmic space lesbian ghosts exploring <laughs> the world and exploring exploring the universe and being happy together. So like the whole um, concept of like you know letting gay characters be happy versus like burying them. I'm wondering how like 
how does that factor into the whole Moffat versus RTD uh, debate? And also one side note, I feel like Chibnall um, show running the first two series of Torchwood, I think those were both a little bit problematic, So, but I hope he's learned his lesson. He wasn't then. a showrunner, and he wrote some episodes, but oh, um, I, I, Russell T. Davis was the showrunner all okay, the way through. Okay, so I know he did like the premieres and finales for those, but okay, yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I, I have to jump on the, the Yanto dying thing. Um, <laughs> of course. I, I, I was not happy about it, and, and I... I, I it's not so much that they killed Yanto at all. Um, it sucked, but Torchwood killed people equally. They were not afraid to get rid of their main characters, right? But uh, my problem with Yanto's death was how it was done, um, because it it didn't really serve any narrative purpose in that story. Because um, they go in, right? They, Jack just kind of runs in and yells at the alien to stop with no plan at all. I'm sorry, this is huge spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen Children of Earth, I'm realizing. Um, sorry. Uh, and Yantra dies because of it. And there's no, you know, like Jack kind of already knows the nature of the enemy at that point. He has no plan whatsoever. So Yantra's death doesn't achieve anything. And it was, it was, it was completely pointless. Jack goes into a situation where he knows Yanta could be killed, and they achieve nothing with it. Um, so it's written in as for the emotional hit, but it doesn't serve any plot purpose like um, Owen's and Tasha's deaths did, um, where they did serve a purpose in that finale. It made narrative sense. Um, and Yanto's didn't. Um, but since we've raised it, does anyone have anyone they want to say quick on that topic? Yes, right there. Hi. Uh, I use she, her pronouns. Um, yeah, like, I don't know. I just, when that had happened, uh, I had always sort of felt like he was, you know, always the fifth character. And then there were three characters and he was still kind of the fifth character. <laughs> and um, I kind of always felt like they killed him sort of to get him out of the way. Mm -hmm. Because it was like, oh, well, you know, Jack Gwen has to happen, so we need to get rid of him. And uh, I don't know, it was like, um, it was very unsatisfying. And then even uh, the fact that, like, he spent so much of the series lying, and then they revealed the fact that he was lying about a lot of things about his, his past and his childhood. And then they never dealt with that. Like, they find out after his death that he was lying, and it's never brought up again. It's nothing, you know? And I mean, I don't know. I haven't listened to the most recent audio dramas, so I don't really know. But um, <laughs> but it's just always felt like he was just this character who was just um, thrown away a lot. Mm -hmm. And the fact that his death was just literally the, them throwing him away kind of felt almost appropriate for that character. I don't know. I have a lot of feelings about that character. <laughs> like, uh, I was really related to him, so like... It was it was such a devastating death, and I I do agree it was it served really no real purpose. Yeah, and it just really felt like they were just like it hurt them for when they continued it. the show, right? Miracle yeah. Day really suffered for only having Jack and Gwen and Reese yeah. from the original show. There, they had to introduce all these new characters who I didn't really get all that invested in, and they kept dying too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to move on because uh, we're, we're just a little bit short on time. So I'm just going to throw it open to a sort of grab bag. If there's any particular queer-related topic related to Doctor Who that we haven't touched yet, um, just very quickly, do you guys have anything? 
Um, I I don't like I I'm first of all so grateful that this panel happened and that I was asked to be a part of it because I've learned a lot about how everyone feels about this show because for me the show has always been the fans who want to talk about it not necessarily always the show itself as we all know the show is not perfect and isn't always good but I love it just the same and I love the people who love it you know and. I was just really excited when the doctor was a woman. I'm really excited for those queer moments. You know, you talked about bisexual visibility and I am bisexual myself and like I married a woman and I love her very much, but that doesn't make me less bi. And you know, seeing Jack on screen, you know, and when I rewatch those episodes reminds me it's okay to be in a straight presenting relationship and still be queer and still be bi. And so I'm really thankful for that character and that run. Um, and again, Eccleston's my favorite doctor, so that's it. <laughs> um, I'm, I would really like just hopefully more, uh, less of uh, just here's a hint mm. of what it is to be queer. And yes, they're queer, but we're not gonna talk about it too much. And we're not gonna go in, because I feel like as a queer community, that's what we have to do with like every show. We have to be like, oh my God, look, they looked at each other for like two seconds longer than a straight couple would. <laughs> they're definitely not just friends. <laughs> And I'm like, and it's it's fun it's fun to do that, but at the same time, like, it, there's you know, the, the heterosexual community doesn't necessarily have to do that. You know, they've got a ton of representation. Um, so I feel like sometimes we're given crumbs, and that's supposed to appease us, which is again why Bill and I, I really am sad she only got one season um, was such a big deal because she wasn't just like a crumb, and they did actually at least talk about it more than you know uh more than like with clara where they just kind of said she might be bisexual <laughs> you figure it out um <laughs> so i just hope going forward there's just a lot more um pride in the queerness that they have the ability to represent to such a broad community for me growing up watching the original show i clung to those crumbs i drew as much nourishment from those crumbs <laughs> as i possibly could um there's like scattered episodes um, throughout where you like get that like, oh, I think they're supposed to be gay. Um, <laughs> there's one, I don't know how many fans of the original show there are, but there's a Tom Baker uh, story, The Mask of Mandragora, and there's um, the du the young Duke in that and his companion, Marco. Uh, <laughs> and they're so obvious, because Marco serves no purpose in the story at all, except to be fiercely devoted to his best friend. And that is like the most obvious example from the original show. Um, but I loved that story because of that. Uh, and then I just want to say also from the original show, um, when they introduced Ace, the last companion, um, love Ace. And watching it, I was like, that this has to be intentional, right? Because um, she had, clearly she had her like heterosexual expression um, like that weird pinter scene with the soldier in Remembrance of the Daleks that is so bizarre. But then she also has that moment in um, uh, uh, Ghostlight where she, she, her and, uh, um, I'm forgetting the character's name, but the young woman in that story, and they go off and they hide and they get changed into tuxedos together. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's so, because at this point, the show was like entirely run by gay men behind the scenes. So, <laughs> like, it had to be intentional that there was something going on between her and this young woman in that story. Um, so that was, those were the type of things I clung to on the classic show that I'm glad um, we get a little bit more overt now in the new show. Um, we, I think we have time for maybe one or two people to throw up some, any topic you want to talk about. Um, let's, well, I just talked about Ace, so let's go to Ace. 
Uh, so somebody touched very briefly earlier about the idea of the doctor being ace. And as an ace person myself, I project that heavily on the show. Um, so I was wondering what you guys thought of the idea that the doctor's on the ace spectrum somewhere, maybe fluctuating, maybe positioned on the spectrum, fluctuating from regeneration to regeneration, but still being on the ace spectrum in some fashion. I always thought so. And even, you know, as much as I love River and their whole relationship, that it was uh, the, the episode with Capaldi where he said, you look great. And she was like, you don't have any idea whether or not. <laughs> and he's like, I guess you like moved your hair. Is that? And so he's like, but like, I, I appreciated that because that's always how I kind of assumed the character was supposed to be presented in the way he, he even when he tried to like flirt it and like interact with people that it wasn't really what he wanted to be doing. Um, so yeah, I've always, I've always seen that definitely. I mean, I think they definitely uh, try to portray that or that's what's coming off for sure. I feel like there was a, a, a an ace reading of Matt Smith's doctor becomes problematic as you go through the run because he starts off like really baffled by Amy's like obviously sexual intentions towards him yeah um just not getting it at all and then I feel like because I love River Song and I love their relationship I love that character but there's again it gets back to Mo the way Moffat handles gender issues there's this sort of icky like her teaching him the ways of love and sexuality um which if you're reading the doctor as ace is really ugly that that it's that he's too that he's just ignorant of sexuality, which is kind of horrible. Um, so that's another sort of mark against Moffat in my, in my eyes. Um, yeah. Uh, right there. Yep. He's doing his best. Yay. Um, so I'm not... I, I'm going. I'm going to get murdered in two seconds. I'm not a huge Doctor Who fan. Uh, for the record, no murder over fandoms. We love everybody <laughs> here, so you're fine. Um, period. But like, I think a thing because when you said that, it reminded me of Sherlock and how like Stephen Moffat's Sherlock, for the most part, like has no attractions to anybody. But then with Irene Adler, who's supposed to be a lesbian, somehow Sherlock like turns her straight and she like <laughs> teaches him the ways of sexuality. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> and like it just made me think of that moment and how like well I think with Russell T Davies like as a gay man there is in gay culture that like undertone of misogyny against women and like the idea of oh men are glorious but like let's not focus on like those women over there and then with Moffat it's like he wants, he, like, I don't know. He wants to try, but then he, like, just, it goes over his head completely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, we're going to have to start wrapping this up, unfortunately, because there's, there, we could talk for hours. <laughs> Clearly about we could do a four-hour panel. Moffat. Totally. Um, I just want to quickly run down just where can everybody find you guys here at the con or online or anywhere. Um, so I, you can go to my Facebook page, which is Stormageddon. It's facebook.com slash Stormageddon. I'm a DJ and a podcaster and a burlesque host. A quick plug for Magical Girl Burlesque, which is a troupe that I produce with who do awesome stuff. Um, my podcasts are Crash Chords Autographs, which this panel will be featured as a special. Um, we're recording it right now, so I hope that's okay with everyone. If it's not, please tell me, and I will 
do the appropriate editing, I'm happy to do that. Um, but uh, you can check that out. It's on any podcast platform. And then again, as we mentioned, I do Fun and Games podcast, which is a treating gaming as an artistic medium, because it is, and exploring how it's growing and how it's failing. And then my two new podcasts, one is called Reignite. It's a Mass Effect podcast where me and my co-host are replaying the game, talking about its social implications on us and how our queerness and our, our growing queerness and more awareness of ourselves affects the choices we make. And then the last podcast I'm doing with Rachel Shank, who's in this room, who I love, um, it's a movie podcast for movie lovers. So no movie aficionados, it's just if you like movies and want to talk about movies, you should listen to our podcast. Great. Uh, Thank you. Real quickly, Rachel. Uh, you can find me or my group, uh, The Lipstick Project, uh, any of our platforms through Facebook is easiest. So if you look up The Lipstick Project, we're based in Connecticut right now, and we should, we're hoping to have some uh, video and more web content coming out in the next year. So definitely check that out. And I am here. I'm tabling, actually. I'm at table U168. Uh, you can find all my books there, including a series I have that is somewhat inspired by Doctor Who and Captain Jack a little bit. Uh, I'm also Brian Olson Books everywhere, online, social media, and my website. So thank you so much for coming out and talking about Queer Doctor Who today. Thank you, Brian, for making this happen. Thank you. Thank you both. Oh, thank oh, you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Mike. Thanks. <laughs> If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good. Hi, this is Victor Devon, and I am the host of We Burlesque the Podcast. Every Monday, I talk to fabulous denizens of nightlife, including burlesque performers, both seasoned and new to the form, drag performers, performance artists, DJs, and artists who make up their respective scenes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please visit weburlesque.com to check out episode recaps and see all the formats available. And remember that music is life. Life is good.